Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you? Top-notch, mate. Fantastic. We have a really exciting episode to talk about this week. We are, we're going to review the Wallaroos and Wales final pool game for the Rugby World Cup, and it has been announced that the Wallaroos have made it through to the quarterfinals of the World Cup, so very, very excited about that. Um yeah, why don't you give a little promo of what we're going to do later in this week to celebrate the momentous Mate, occasion that is the quarterfinal berth. We have some exciting things coming up. Later in the pod, you'll hear a very special interview with a bit of a surprise Wallaroo, so stick around for that. And on Thursday night, Mitch is going to be joining the Dropped Kickoff Boys for a live pod previewing the quarterfinals. Teams will be announced by then. Um, you have Nick Wasiliev and Nathan Williamson over from RA, who's in New Zealand at the moment, and he'll be able to give us a bunch of information that's up to date, breaking all the news stories. Very, very excited. So we're still confirming exactly what time it's going to be, probably, I don't know, 7, 8 p.m. Sydney time, something like that. Yep. And it will be live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So make sure that you get involved with that. Um, send any questions, make sure you chat and just send any bants as the show is going on. And it'll be great to get the live interaction from that. So very, very excited. Uh, unfortunately I probably won't be able to be there, but Mitch will. So to see what he has to say. No, yay, Mitch. Mitch is great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you are uh, new to the pod, you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So do give us a like, a share and a follow on all of those platforms. Uh, just Google pick or just search pick and drive rugby and we should come up. You shouldn't have too much uh, to worry about there. Now, I also wanted to give a shout out to someone that we have been collaborating with for a little while on our Instagram page, if you haven't seen it. And it, it's been a few weeks since we've been doing this. So I thought it was time that we gave him uh, a shout out. And so... I'm just bringing it up, so I've got all the details in front of me, but uh, well done to Scrum Bags, who you might have seen some of his stuff po- uh, show up on our feed the last few weeks. So we are collaborating with him on a section called All Abroad, where we focus on the talents of Australian rugby players overseas and how they're going. So that typically gets released on a Wednesday, 
Uh, so do get involved with that. Have a look. It, it's been really great so far, some of the yeah, content he's yeah. putting out. And if you are just interested in general rugby content, do give him a follow on Instagram as well because he's putting out some really, really good content as well. He's got his fingers on the pulse of a lot of the overseas competitions or the European competitions that um, sometimes it's hard to keep track of. A lot of the oh, he's sort of he's doing there, it so all. He's great. not just doing that. He's doing yep. yeah, he's doing just general rugby news, Australian rugby news. He's doing it all. So yeah, yeah, he's doing a great job. Absolutely loving it. So love the collaboration. Thanks for your support there, Scrum Bags, and keep up the great work. So. Uh, we've talked about what we're going to be doing. We have a special interview that's coming up soon. But before that interview, Mitch, what are we going to be talking about? All right, we will review the Wallaroos performance against Wales, the final pool game of Rugby World Cup 2021. Uh, and then, yeah, I think we'll just try and keep that kind of short because we do have a nice interview coming up later on with the Wallaroos as well. So shall we just get into it? Yeah, mate, let's go. On Saturday, October the 22nd, the Wallaroos came away 13-7 to victors against the Welsh women's team. They were absolutely fantastic. It was a great game, full of gritty defence and bruising running. And it is just incredibly exciting at this point in time to be able to say that the Wallaroos are through to the quarterfinals. But before we get to that, we need to talk about this weekend's game. So there were some incredible performances across the entire entire Wallaroos team, as well as obviously some quality Wales performances, but we're just going to focus on the Wallaroos. Um, for you, my friend, who was it that stood out within this game? Jeez, I can't, I don't think we can really talk about this game without mentioning Grace Hamilton. I um, Incredible player of the match. I threw her out last week as, as we were finishing up our live stream with Squidge and just said, you know, not someone who is necessarily someone to look out for, but just she's always putting in a great performance and he's always showing up week in, week out and um, yeah, she had a great performance this week. Woman of the match. Yep. So uh, well done to Grace. She was in everything. 28 carries, 78 metres, three tackle busts, a turnover, and a 100% success tackle rate. So it is an incredible performance backed up week after week. Um, she has just been absolutely mammoth. And I know um, that we were talking about maybe South African number eight, Hele, who was absolutely incredible. But I don't think you can really go past the efforts that Grace Hamilton has been putting in consistently across all three games so far. She has just been absolutely immense. Um, are, you, are you kind of surprised considering she was somewhat dropped earlier in the season? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised with her performance. Like she's had a really big Super W this year and she's been consistently performing for the Waratahs women's team. Uh, there was some selection choices earlier in the year where the team was trying to sort of see who was going to be that back row makeup. And, and at the time, Grace wasn't getting selected and she missed a few tests earlier in the year. Uh, and I, I think in some ways that's actually sort of lit a fire for her. And mm. she's sort of come in and said, no, I, I am the best number eight in Australia or number six, whichever way you want to look at it. They kind of pack in... Packed down at scrums in all weird combinations, the Wallaroos. <laughs> but um, yeah, she she's absolutely letting the rugby do the talking and she's having a fantastic tournament so far. Mate, uh, the Wallaroos seem to just get better the more that she has the ball. So I'll, I'll read you a couple of fun little stats. So against New Zealand, the first game of the competition, uh, Grace Hamilton ran the ball 13 times to 73 metres. 
And then against Scotland, she ran the ball 23 times for 158 metres. And then against uh, Wales, she ran the ball 28 times, 171 metres. Do you think she can crack the big 3-0 this weekend against England? Oh, for sure. I think she's got to finish the... Well, I won't say finish the tournament on a high, but um, she's, she <laughs> knows the that this is going to be a big game for the Wallaroos. And for them to be effective against England, and I don't want to give away all of our secrets because we do have a preview pod coming out later this week, but for them to be effective against England, they will need to bend the... Uh, the defensive line and to make some meters in contact like she did this week. So, yeah, I think she will be getting um, her hands on the ball and and just trucking it up in the middle wherever she can. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, okay, so obviously Grace Hamilton was just an easy pickings, the low-hanging fruit, as it were, for identifying who it was that was um, one of the key players. But what we might actually do is take a bit of a step back from the players for just a moment and say instead, well, what was it about this game that stood out to you, Mitch? Look, I don't want to be too uh, negative. It's it's not something that we we like to do in terms of our approach to rugby, but we do have to say, and we have to start off by saying, the Wallaroos put in a really good performance this week, and they were very dominant, but they should have scored a lot more points yeah. with the amount yeah. of field position they had, the amount of possession that they had. Uh, they had 879 metres carried to, to Wales, 419 three line breaks to two, 73% game line made. Uh, that In a lot of the stats, when you read through, the Wallaroos were well ahead of Wales in a lot of areas. And I don't have the exact time in front of me, but there was one point in the second half where the Wallaroos had been within Wales's 22 for eight and a half minutes. They'd been in eight or nine times and they'd come away with one try by that point. Wales, on the other hand, had been in Australia's 22 twice for like two minutes and they'd come away with a try so that's one area that moving forward the Wallaroos need to to sharpen up there was some decisions made in attack there was some um, passes made that weren't on there was some they, they sort of found themselves a little bit too eager at times and made the wrong decision which when coming up against a Welsh defense that was willing and ready to put on big hits um, yep. held them up over the line a few times as well so they did. Yeah. We do need to say that as good as they were, and they ga- they dominated a lot of areas of the game. As a fan, it was quite frustrating because they should have been scoring tries left, right, and centre with the amount of possession and territory they had, but they weren't. It's somewhat characteristic within the game, modern game at the moment, um, where it's actually in some ways easier to attack from further out than it is once you get to the defensive line because. You don't have as many players in a backfield when you're close to the defensive line and they just don't commit at the ruck and just number up in D. Um, one of the really important uh, figures within any rugby game is the points per opposition 22 entry. And the Wallaroos against Wales were 0.54 points per opposition 22 entry. And yeah. really for any team to want to claim that they've been um, effective in that area, you need to be probably sitting at a minimum of two points per 22 entry or above. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, that was just really, it just really emphasized that point that you're making there, that despite huge amounts of possession, huge amounts of pressure, it seemed that as soon as we got within the Welsh 22, we weren't able to convert effectively. So there was a lot of great work being done with forward players up until that point. But once we got into the, um, yeah, into that kind of like just one up so hitting like to try and get yeah. over the, yeah, to try and get over. Uh, the trial line, there wasn't enough variation in attack to cause some problems in defence. 
And I, I wish that either maybe we'd done a couple of cutout passes, a couple of nice little tip-ons rather than just taking the ball into the contact straight away or look for um, even faster recycle speed to try and speed up the play um, within that zone. So a few areas for them to be improving in, but hey, I'd rather that be a problem than not getting into the 22. So yeah. that's, that's positive. I think just building on that point before we move off onto something else, um, one area that I, I thought we weren't great in in well, the role Wallaroos weren't great in was understanding where they were in terms of the field and, and making the right yeah. decisions at the yeah. right times. And yep. so they, as we are the pick and drive rugby podcast, and we love to see a good pick and drive, but sometimes with the new rules and the law variations that have come into play, if you get over the line and don't get the ball down, it's a 22, it's a goal line dropout. So it's no longer a scrum. Um, it's yeah, it, it, it gives the possession back to the opposition and so a lot of times the Wallaroos actually got really close and kept picking and driving it when they needed to probably spread the ball wide and try and sort of get those one-on-one contacts instead of those two or three uh, contacts yeah. close to the ruck. And yeah. Um, yeah, if they had their time back, I'm sure they would have done that. And that's where they probably would have scored a few more points because they did get held up a few times. They did, didn't they? So thinking through that then, um, there are a couple of areas for Australia to improve in the game. Um, what we might do, let's jump into another player that um, impressed us within this match. And then again, we might speak to maybe maybe some areas for growth or improvement moving forward. Mm-hmm. Now, the great thing is we're able to talk about it in this way, that we know we're getting to the quarters. We've got to the knockout stage. Yes, we're going up against an English team that hasn't lost in, what is it, 28 games mm-hmm. now? Are yep. they up to 28 games? Yep. Um, so we've probably got the hardest task that we could have asked for. Um, but either way, it's knockout rugby, so there's always a hope. Um, Mitch, another player. We've mentioned Grace Hamilton before. Who was another player from this Wallaroos outfit that really stood out within this game for you? Uh, I mentioned her last week, but I'm going to give her another shout. Shani Williams. She's had a great impact on the Wallaroos, and she's had a great tournament. And uh, just her decision-making as well as her physicality at the breakdown and her ability to break the line and break tackles like Grace Hamilton. She was a massive uh, influence in the Wallaroos dominance, particularly in that first half. They, when they got into the, into Wales 22, giving it to her, she was always making the right decisions. And she knew perfectly from her sevens background where the right time was to, to tuck, tuck the ball under her arm and truck it up or to sort of suck in the defense and give an offload, uh, which some of the outside backs around her didn't necessarily have the right, or have the that same level of experience and sometimes got found out. Yep. Uh, a couple of players I'll give a quick shout out to. We had a new locking combination to start this game because of the injury to Atasi Lafay and um, Serena Gama being given a rest. So you had Michaela Leonard come in and then Grace Kemp at the last minute as injury replacement for Lafay. And they did really well in a lot of the kind of the dark work that goes underappreciated. So... In terms of securing their own ruck, Michaela Leonard and Grace Kemp both had uh, 41 and 33 um, involvements. They were the first to their own rucks, uh, top two players getting to their own rucks. Grace Kemp topped the clean-out charts in terms of ruck contributions. So it was just really, really impressive to see the amount of um, securing of the ball that those two were doing, which enabled a really, really impressive ruck speed. So it's one of the things that the Warriors have been defined by in the periods of good play and involvement they have within a game is the speed at which they're able to recycle the ball. So they were able to get 94% of the ball in their own rucks, less than six seconds in length. Now that's quite a long time when you kind of count it out one, 
to and so on. Um, but I mean, they have 60% of their play of their rocks. The rock ball was coming out in zero to three seconds, which is an insane figure and really, really impressive to show the speed at which the women are trying to play this game. Um, and <laughs> let's see if that speed can be something they can continue against an, a red roses <laughs> outfit who are looking dangerous. And well, another player that sort of buys into that theme that you were talking about is Butter Basunga. Uh, she mm. was fantastic at number nine and at scrum half. And, one of the, it was interesting to see that, I guess one of the sort of downfalls of her game in some ways is she isn't as fast and snippy at the break, at the breakdown like her replacement Morgan is. Um, and when she came on, you could see that the tempo lifted a bit and the the game and the flow sort of picked up for the Wallaroos. But one thing that Butter Basunga brings um, is her really long pass. And so yep. what she was able to do for the Wallaroos was she... It gave Mackenzie the ability and the the freedom, I guess, to stand a little bit deeper or wider in attack so that she would stand closer to the center of the field. And it meant that the Wallaroos were able to, that initial pass was able to go further. And it meant that the Wallaroos were able to spread the ball across the field a lot faster. And that's one thing in the women's game that not all teams are able to do. And if you can get the ball from one side of the field to the other really quickly, it gives you opportunities to to find holes that are out wide where other teams aren't necessarily able to do that. And the Wallaroos were quite effective at that in this game in getting the ball out to the wingers. And we've seen the wingers that we have. When you give them space and time, they are very effective. So her um, Badabasunga's wide pass definitely um, unlocked the outside backs a lot more than uh, yeah than we've sort of seen. Yeah, I agree. And um, that actually brings me to a point that I'd love to see for future improvement. I know I'm not going to be likely not be there on Thursday, so I might say this point now, is um, I'd love to see a little bit of variation brought into the Walrus game where they're not as predictable in the way that they're trying to gain territory up the field, yep. which is often through that um, that strong forward dominated game, which I'm, I'm quite impressed by within the Walrus. I'd love to see a little bit more contestable kicking from scrum half. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm going to say that. I want more box kicks. Not heaps, just a few more to provide a bit of uncertainty. Well, we, because when you have... That's one area that they don't do, the Wallaroos. Like if you watch they the Wallabies, don't. it'll be 12, 13, 15, depending on the, the scrum half on the game, how yep. many times we go to the air. The Wallaroos don't mm-hmm. do that. And so exactly. it really does feel like there's only two kickers in the back line, Kramer and McKenzie. Exactly. And now that adds to a couple of points. My first one is that when you have a player like BM Sarita, who is just as capable as she is in the air, we saw that with a couple of the restart, one of the restarts that she got and a couple of other high balls that she was able to bring in. Um, I think we should be trying to put up those contestable opportunities, not all the time, but use that as a variation in our attacking options. Um, but also where we really struggle with length on our kicks. Um, when trying to clear from our own uh, defensive zone. So I really think that Badabasanga, um implementing more of a kicking game from the base of the rock might well be an area for improvement because having to pass it back to Arabella McKenzie, who doesn't have a long boot, yep. and Laurie Kramer, who is accurate, but also her boot isn't particularly massive either. Um, I think that's just, yeah, it, it's an important variation, I think, that we'll need to consider moving into next week. I'm just wondering whether, because we haven't seen it so far in this tournament, whether it's just not an option. Yeah, does like, it exist? Yeah, like is does she have a boot on her? Are we able to box kick or are we only relying on those two? So it will be yep. interesting to see because, yeah, you're right. It Our kicking game can be better and it's something that they've spoken about, that uh, 
second or third test against the Black Ferns, the one in uh, Adelaide, whichever. Mm-hmm. I, it all blends together. We play them about a million times this year. But that that game in Adelaide, they highlighted that they wanted to have an improved kicking game because the week before, uh, down in Christchurch, they got absolutely found out and they their kicking game was really poor. So yep. they they were working on that and it's something they're continuing to work on. Uh, this game, they started well. Laurie Kramer did a, per, a like pinpoint accurate kick really t- across to Ivania Wong in like the second minute of the game when we had advantage and it bounced perfectly up into her arms. I was hoping to see that sort of replicated another few times, but it didn't sort of pull off as many times as I was sort of hoping. Yeah. Um, a couple of things to just follow that and then we might move on. Um, kicks in play. We had 14 kicks in play in this game and Arabella McKenzie was nine of them with Butterbasanga two and Georgina Friedrich was one and a few other players sharing one as well. So it just shows you there the fact that our kicking game is entirely centered around Arabella McKenzie and nobody else. And then when exiting from our 22, we ran the ball out of our 22 85% of the time. <laughs> like 80, 85% of the time. That's like Michael Checker 2019 <laughs> World Cup I was gonna say. Um, kind of styles. So Just run the ball. Look, Don't kick it. Just run it. It's the strength. It's, it's the strength of the Wallaroos. We've seen yeah. it in the last couple of games, but... I really don't think it's going to be effective going up against this England team trying to run it out of your 22. Oh, and, um, and a final point, um, Nelson Dale, I really need to really need to shout him out for this one from Draft Rugby. He was concerned during the game. Um, we were chatting and he was concerned that we'd emptied our bench really early and had a lot of inexperience on the field. Mm. The final like four minutes when we're running it out of our own 22, with the wind at our back, rather than just hoofing it downfield and having a strong defensive line, just just did my head in so badly. I mean, it worked out for us in the end, but uh, the fact that we were trying to run the ball out of our 22 when we weren't a converted try ahead was incredibly scary. Yeah, it was. Um, and that was, I remember the tweet I think you sent, it was just kick the ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anyone yeah, isn't watching the game it. and just sees us tweet that, they're like, what is this on? What are these guys on about? <laughs> Um, look now, the interesting thing is within, within how we've spoken about this game, we've been, um, we've identified a few areas that we think the Walrus can improve. Right. And I, why do you think it is that we've been more constructively critique, critiquing the team rather than just kind of cheering them on? I think for me, it really comes down to the, the stats again. And when you look at the stats and how they sort of skew in Australia's favor, um, we would expect a little bit more dominance on the scoreboard. So the Wallaroos made 386 metres to 205. They made 155 runs to Wales 70. They The Wallaroos made 97 tackles. Wales made 245. Now that paints a pretty big picture in terms of how this game was played. The Wallaroos had a lot of possession and a lot of territory, and Wales were defending for a large chunk of the time. Now with that amount of possession, that amount of metres run you would expect them to cross the line more than once. Um, and so I guess in some ways we're back to that point of we had a lot of opportunities and the girls did really well to create those opportunities, but they just weren't clinical enough in finishing them off. And in some yeah. ways, to someone who hasn't watched the game, a 13-7 to scoreline makes it seem like it was a pretty tight contest. And really coming out of the game and from seeing it, it wasn't. Wales yeah. didn't really look or feel like they deserved to be as close to the Wallaroos as they were, considering how much they were kept camped in their own 22, particularly mm. in that second half. Yeah, and look, 
that's that's all fair to say. Um, and I think there's there's people that we can well, there's ways that we can look at the positives of this. You look at the positives in terms of the opportunities that the water has created, which you just mentioned. Yep. Uh, we earlier within uh, our discussion spoke to the uh, quality of the Welsh defence to make sure that they could continue to have a strong defensive line for that long. Um, their tackle percentage was 93% tackles made, which is yeah. really, really impressive for the numbers that they that they went through. So look, there's a lot of credit that can go to both sides here. And in the end, at the end of the day, the Wallaroos won, they're through to the quarterfinals and they're going to be playing an incredible English team. And it's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. And I cannot wait for this game this weekend to cheer them on and support them. Absolutely brilliant. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting feeling knowing that our team have won, we're through to the finals, but there's still this growth for improvement. Yeah. And the thing that really excites me is how good the Walroos have been getting game after game. And it just shows to you, imagine what this team could be like if they were paid as professional rugby players. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tweeted out after the game um, on my personal one, not the podcast one, and just said that, you know, the fact that we've made it through to the quarterfinals is a massive thing for this team. Uh, we spoke to Emily Chancellor in the lead up to the tournament. And one of the things that she highlighted through our chat was that they were the only team in their pool that was non-professional, that were amateurs, that were going into this tournament. Uh, in some ways, I think they're being uh, compensated for their time, but they're not in a formal professional setup. Uh, yeah. Wales and Scotland have been professional for six to nine to 12 months, depending on which team. I think there's a little bit of uh, timelines there in terms of their professionalism, but definitely England are the team that are sort of showing. They've been professional for a number of years now and the performances they're putting in sort of goes to show that. Uh, but the fact that we've pushed New Zealand in that first game and were leading quite comfortably at halftime, we then went on and beat Scotland and we've now beaten Wales is a massive, massive achievement that they've gone in and they've been able to push these teams of, of players who've had in some ways, ideal preparation for a tournament like this that haven't had to worry about going back to work for two or three weeks between training camps, um, didn't have to worry about doing a week of work before going to the tournament and will they have enough leave to be able to cover them for the time that they need in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So as you said before, Rando, it would be so good if Rugby Australia had found a few extra pennies lying around and been able to make these women professionals last year or even the year before. And who knows what they can achieve and how much better they could be if we had invested in them as much as they deserve to be invested in. I know. And look, I know it's a somewhat simple comparison, which doesn't exactly work, but you look at the, you look at the women's sevens and you look at the quality athletes, the incredible athletes that they are, having been a part of a full-time professional program supported by the Australian Institute of Sport as a part of the Commonwealth funding as it being an Olympic sport. Um, they are obviously world beaters and they are just some of the most impressive athletes that I've seen. And we have this Walrus team, which is putting in gutsy performance after gutsy performance. Um, they have improved week after week within this competition. And you just look at that and think, what if? What if? How much better could we be off these performances if we were full-time? So it's it's definitely a what-if scenario, definitely a um, something to keep advocating for for, mm -hmm. for everybody out there who yep. is a fan of rugby. And I think that that is probably 
a good point at which we can finish this review and then move into the interview. How does that sound? Fantastic. And uh, yeah, well done to the Wallaroos for getting through to the quarterfinals. You will hear about it in our live stream on Thursday, but if you are just listening to the pod and can't, um, can't tune in for it, they are playing England in the, in the quarterfinal. It is on Sunday morning our time. I believe it's an 11 a.m. kickoff uh, Sydney time. So if you do have time, do get behind the girls and watch it. If you don't have time, uh, make time and make, make sure you tune in and watch the girls because they're doing Australia proud. They've done a remarkable performance so far in this World Cup and they deserve our support. They definitely do. All right, let's go to the interview. Let's go. We move now to the interview section of the podcast for this week and Ando was lucky enough to sit down with Waratahs and Wallaroo player Piper Duck. Uh, she is a flanker for both Australia and New South Wales and um, Ando got to, to chat with her around the preparations that the Wallaroos are currently undertaking for their big quarterfinal game against England this coming weekend. As you can understand, the preparation is well underway and so we didn't have a whole lot of time to talk about, but uh, it is a, a good interview and there's some real uh, insights there that I think you will enjoy. So let's, uh, let's dive into it and take it away, Ando. Piper, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure to have you with us. What does Thursday in the lead up to a World Cup quarterfinal look like in your world? Um, it's a bit different this week because with um, England, we are actually playing them on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So usually Thursday is kind of getting ready to perform, getting ready to play. But with us this week, it's actually our off day. So we had what we wanted to call World Cup Wednesday. So we usually have test, test match Tuesday. Test match Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, we just whack each other. So test match Tuesday and just get all like iron out all the crinkles, I suppose. But um, it was Wednesday today. So then, yeah, tomorrow's our off day. Have a relax and get ready for Sunday. Brilliant. So you've got some pretty exciting things coming up then in the next couple of days. Um, so just talking about you before we actually get onto the team itself, mm-hmm. you are in a pretty incredible back line, both in the Waratahs and at the Wallabies, or back row, I should say. Yeah. Um, what is it about your particular play style and the way that you approach the game that kind of separates you from kind of your Grace Hamilton, Shannon Parry and John mm-hmm. Swart and the like? Um, it's interesting because we are lucky to have such a dominant back row. And we all bring such different traits. And I think at the end of the day, the different traits we bring is what make us so special. For me, like, I'm not a small, I'm not a small build and I like to get over the ball and I like space. Coming from sevens, I love space. But I also don't mind a bit of contact, you know, so it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. And so are you seeing yourself more of that over-the-ball presence rather than wanting to be that ball runner that's hitting the gaps or kind of do it, Grace Hamilton, and take about 30 hit-ups per game? Yeah, no, she's very dominant, dominant ball runner. Dominant. Um, but no, like, I, <laughs> but, you know, I definitely do like oh, having a carry. But, yeah, as I said, like, I do love a good pilfer as well. But definitely I'm looking to hit a hole when I can. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay, cool. So looking at the team as a whole, you would have had particular expectations coming into the tournament. Um, how do you think the team have met, exceeded or not met the standards that you had for yourselves as a team by getting to this point? I definitely think we've met them. Our goal coming into the World Cup is obviously you have to pull, pull rounds and our thing was you need to win two out of three because you need to make the quarterfinal. You can't win a World Cup or perform in a World Cup if you don't make a quarterfinal. Yep. So that was our goal. We need to hit a quarterfinal and we've done it. Yep. At times it might have been pretty, at times it might have been perfect, but we've come together and we've worked really hard and we've sticked to our guns and our set piece and the structure, I suppose, our coaches have put in for us and we've worked hard and we've got here. So now we just have to, well, finish the job off and head well into Sunday. 
and it's an incredible amount of pride I'm sure you all take as a result of meeting that expectation. What, across the three games, there have been some pretty big ups and some pretty big downs as well. Some incredible, incredible matches. What are some of the moments out of the three games that you and the team have had so far that just, you look back on them and they just fill you with a bit of pride, a bit of joy, just remembering those moments? Um, I think it was actually Eden Park for me. I wasn't, I didn't play in that one, but just watching the girls run out in the first game for us of the World Cup and the 40,000, 38,000 like crowd, which no women's rugby game has ever seen. And then in this most special moment for me was when we were facing the Haka and the plane flew over the top and just the atmosphere it created, it was unreal. And like watching the girls in the field, I was just so proud of them. And I went, we're here to do this. And I genuinely believe we have a good crack. Yep. Like, I'm really excited leading to this World Cup. To me, that's my biggest memory so far, like just that moment. And what I loved about it, just from an outsider's perspective, just feeding into what you said there at the ground was, um, I think it's a sign of things to come. And I think mm-hmm. it's a sign of where the women's game should be on a regular basis, rather than kind of like the opening match of the World Cup. Um, right. And so it just speaks to where the game can be going moving forward with the right decisions and the right investment. But, okay, we've talked about some of the positives, but there's also been a few moments where um, perhaps the team has struggled. So what are some of the areas as a team you've been focusing on this week to improve in the lead up to the England quarterfinal? Um, the biggest thing for us in defence has just been working on, obviously, our chop tackles. England are very dominant in current ball in the way they carry it. We've had a few different techniques leading into other European sides because, obviously, before coming into the World Cup, we hadn't versed any. We had a lot of games against Fiji, New Zealand, but they're very different how European sides play. Yep. So we've been working on how they carry the ball and also we know they have very dominant set piece. So we've been working on, okay, how can we defend their set piece? And then from an attacking point of view, we're trying to work on staying connected and staying together, but obviously hitting our line straight. They're just being, yeah, together in that area and just putting, trying to put them under pressure so bring them in. We have to earn the right to go forward before we can go out. And I think that's one of the things that was really impressive about probably the start of all three games is the way in which Australia and the Wallaroos have just come out of the blocks firing. I mean, the first oh, 30 minutes of the Black Ferns game was just some of the best rugby that I've ever watched. It was an incredible performance. And then um, key moments against Scotland and Wales as well just showed how well the team can front up in attack when you're carrying in tight, which allowed a bit more of the width. One of the, one of the observations from the Wales game, though, that I'd love to get your opinion on was um, some of the challenge that the Wallaroos had in converting the opportunities when they got into the 22. So the conversion rate, I think, was like 0.5 or 0.3 per entry into the opposition 22 points coming away with. Um, has that been an area of focus and conversation as well this week? Yeah, definitely. Because at the end of the day, we're creating the opportunities, which is so exciting. And we're definitely taking confidence in the fact we had, I think it was around 13 entries, and yes, we didn't execute. But we're looking over those entries, there were so many opportunities. We just need to make to choose the right ones. And even re-watching the game, yes, we didn't always score the point, but the holes we hit were correct. Yep. But just a change of angle or just a pass going the other way. And because we just created so many options for ourselves, which is exciting. We're taking confidence out of that. So we're just in working on executing that better at training. So speaking through them, obviously you, you've just spoken to the confidence that uh, the team has moving forward. I mean, it's definitely a David and Goliath story in terms of uh, probably the world's best professional women's team over the last couple of years coming up against a team that undoubtedly is committed and loves the game and is going to put their best performance forward, but not getting paid as professionals for this tournament. Um, how should an outsider who maybe is just going to be tuning into this match, what should they be looking for in terms of the quality of performance from this Wallaroos team? 
I think they should be excited because end of the day, yes, you touched on the fact we aren't getting paid to be here right now, but we are so happy to be here and we are professional in the way we carry ourselves yeah. and the way we're going to attack this game. It is a competition and we are competitive and we are so exciting heading into it. Anyone watching it, just get around us, support us because we're going to put our best foot forward to take on this team who, yes, are the best in the world and they're great at footy. So it's such an exciting opportunity to compete with the best in the world and that's what a World Cup's about. So we have to go out there and put our best foot forward and one way we're all excited to have a go. 100%. Well, all I can say is uh, from myself and uh, Mitch as well at Pick and Drive Rugby, we are incredibly excited for this game. We've had it penciled in for a while and have been doing as much as we can to cheer on the girls back from Aussie Shores. So Piper, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it and all the best for the next couple of days of preparation. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Awesome. Pleasure. Bye. Thank you for getting to this point of the podcast. We wrap up another podcast for another week of rugby content. Now, just a reminder for those that do want to tune in, uh, tomorrow night or Thursday night, we will be doing a live stream. Uh, I will be joined by Nick Wasiliev and some of the guys from the Drop Kickoff podcast. So do tune into that. We will be previewing the Wallaroos upcoming quarterfinal fixture against England. Uh, the Red Roses, we may also chat around the Wallabies game this weekend against Scotland. So please do check out our social pages for the link and more information on that one. And just a reminder to get around the Wallaroos who are playing England in the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup this weekend. Uh, kickoff is 11.30am Sydney time on Sunday the 30th of October. So do tune in on stand, um, cheer the girls along and... We wish them all the best. Thanks, everyone, again, for getting to this point in the podcast. We'll be back next week uh, with some re- with a review of the Wallaroos' performance over the weekend, and we'll also chat through the, Wallaroo- the Wallabies' performance against Scotland as well and the- kicking off their spring tour. Uh, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next week.